Welcome to Be The Church Podcast with your hosts, Chad and Melissa McBean, where we discuss a variety of topics relative to the active Christian life as we work to submit our lives to become more like Jesus each day. Today we share one of our bonus series episodes from our show, Latent Treasures. These shows are filled with incredible guests to inspire you and encourage you throughout the week. Inspired by a quote from C.S. Lewis, this show seeks to highlight people who live their faith out in ways that are somewhat discreet. But make no mistake, the impact that they are making in the lives of those they touch is anything but latent or discreet. Our hope is that this series will engage you, intrigue you, challenge you, grow you, and gives you a chance to interact with us in your own journey of life in a way that may ultimately help draw you nearer to the God who created you. If you enjoyed this show, please like it, share it, and even subscribe to it so you can be alerted to future episodes when they're released. In today's episode of Latent Treasures, we dig into part two of our interview with Kim Winston Bigler. We left part one with Kim sharing that being faithful to God's call had actually led her to become a foster parent and eventually an adoptive parent as well. This portion of our conversation will be just as interesting and heartfelt as the first, so settle in, relax, and let's listen in to some more of the amazing stories from Kim and James Samaritan. That is so awesome. Thank you so much for sharing that. That's, yeah, it's, uh, that's a big one. That's a big one. <laughs> that's a big one. Tell, tell, share a little bit about the transition. Like you said, you, you felt called, you're from Louisiana originally. So you kind of felt called to, to transition back home out of California, back to Louisiana. Uh, tell us a little bit about what was behind that and how that's uh, gone so far. So I was asked to speak at a conference in Louisiana regarding, they had no resources, uh, at least that were mobilized and galvanized where communities were coming together to do this thing that we were building or already been building in Los Angeles. And so because I'm from here, uh, I knew some of the people putting this conference together, I was asked to speak. And it was because the, the age of when kids aged out of the foster care system had been 21 in Louisiana at the time. And during this time, it had moved back. The lawmakers moved it back to 18. Ouch. So there was about 50 to 60 kids that in two weeks were going to be homeless, basically, out on their keisters and uh, with no resources, no families, no stability. And half of them didn't even finish high school. So they were high schoolers, couldn't even finish. And, um, and so I went to this conference because it was supposed to be the village gathering together to, in this new era of foster care of kids aging out at 18 years old when it had been 21. When I got there, there was nobody there. There, the kids showed up with their caseworkers who took on their day off got on buses and took these kids to this conference, hoping to get some village support out of it. And there, nobody showed up. I was like the only speaker along with maybe one or two others that were there. And I saw the uh, utter, and this is an understatement, utter disappointment of the caseworkers and the supreme disappointment of the kids. Once again, no one showed up. Once again, we're left on our own. 
once again, the caseworkers were feeling that, the older kids were feeling that. I had such a, I cried, uh, I got back on the plane to go to, Louis, to, to Los Angeles, and I cried all the way back because such a deep pain was in my spirit. And I said, I cannot not come back to my own backyard, my own hometown, my own Louisianans. I, I can't continue to do this work, which I know now is being done and, and, and people were picking it up. So it wasn't like I was leaving a baton on the floor over there. Batons were getting picked up in Los Angeles, but there was no baton here even to be seen. There was no village. There was nobody coming together. There was this huge gap and I felt called to come back and help fill it. So we've been here back in Louisiana for about five, six years now. And same thing has happened. We've picked up the baton immediately running with our part, uh, partnership with the Department of Child and Family Services, which has been great. And we have mobilized churches. We have pollinated ourselves. Again, it's all God's work. It's all by God's design. And uh, the obedience has led now to many more nonprofits opening, uh, many more closets being established. And not only that, policies. We're affecting even policy and the way community stakeholders participate in lawmaking. And, um, and we're seeing a lot more community engagement uh, be the answer. And the government is actually allowing us in more so than ever before. Yeah, thank God. There's there's oftentimes this uh, roadblock of, of government not letting yes. people in to help, and I'm so happy to hear that things are are uh, haven't been that way in a dramatic fashion. Um, we have good gatekeepers here, Chad. That's a good. We thing. have good gatekeepers here. Have you noticed any any particular differences between what you've seen? Um, reality on the ground wise between Louisiana and California is a pretty, pretty universal. I would say um, it has been easier to unite and mobilize here uh, in the South. Maybe it's because it's not as dense, the density of people, you know, uh, there's not, it doesn't feel as crazy with a whole bunch of agendas fighting against thousands and thousands of agendas, okay? Los Angeles was filled with agendas that if you got even one church to care or one person to care um, was, was, was wonderful. And usually that person who cares has other friends that care because that's who they hang out with. That's how I got, we got some momentum in, in Los Angeles. There were caring churches because they were caring people and they had friends who were caring as well. But here there is more of a culture of care. Um, they just didn't know. They just simply didn't know that foster care lacked resources. They didn't know that kids, so many kids were coming in without enough families. And when they know better, they do better here. And it's a lot easier to mobilize, a lot faster. Um, and there's something to be said, I can only speak for Louisiana, there's something to be said, uh, oh, we need to take care of our own. See, that, that's, that's kind of the mentality over here, but we've used it uh, because they don't like knowing their kids are without families and people to take care of them or clothes on their backs 
or, or school supplies. And uh, Louisiana is very, very, you know, small knit community. And so that has really been the biggest difference, Chad, if I'd say it's because just there's not so many agendas competing uh, for, for, for resources here or time. When people know of the time needed, the resource needed, they come to the table. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great observation. And I would definitely say I've seen similar. Um, and I don't know that it's necessarily, like you said, just Louisiana or just even the South. I think a lot of, yeah, communities, I don't know. a lot of communities have that, like, we are going to stand up and take care of our community, right? Whether, you know, not, that's certainly not everywhere, but um, I think throughout the country, a lot of places are like that. And that's not to dissuade people who are in a big city where, you know, it might be a lot harder to, to find right. those resources and those, those, um, those energy centers, because like you said, God, God will figure it out. He'll figure it out. Yep. He's got it, it, the plan, Chad. He always has the plan. Absolutely. He just needs the people. <laughs> yes. Couldn't. Yeah. Bottom line. He just needs the people. He will figure the rest out for you. Just step in. In the eight years, 10 years, ooh, 10 years that this has been going on. Have you seen an evolution towards we're getting closer? Like you said, all these ministries have started up. You know, this is, there's certainly momentum for sure. I haven't even seen, um, granted, a, a lot of statistical evidence is probably a little stale because of COVID, but are, have you seen an improvement? Are we making ground? Are we um, slowing the tide. Like if we were in this massive waterfall of it just keeps getting worse and worse and worse and we're just balancing out, that's obviously improvement too. Have you gotten a sense of uh, improvement in the, the situation overall? Um, how much more it would take to literally wipe this problem off the face of the planet? The only way to wipe out the problem, because let me, let me be very clear here. The government was never, cannot ever replace family. I don't care how you put a lipstick on a duck. And I don't care how, how great you've built the duck, you've trained the duck, you've, you've, you've even financed the duck. It'll never be family. It'll still be a duck. So that's kind of where we are in foster care system. There are so many great people working in the foster care system, but they will never be able to replace the family unit. The only way to get rid of this problem, so to speak, this crisis more accurately, is that families having these children get ministered. The church is not so much on the back end fostering and parenting their children. The church is in their home before their children even need to go into foster care. The church has got to do a better job at reaching the community where they are at. And their building is there and they assemble there and they equip there, whether it's in a house church, a big building, whatnot. They are there because that they are sent to that community not on that slab the slab is not the sent place <laughs> the slab is only where you can congregate maybe 
but you're sent to the area that you're in on the slab. So families are broken and crumbling before that child has even had that call, the investigation has had that call for them to come into foster care. If the opioid epidemic is the number one thing that has pushed more kids into the foster care system all at one time than any other factor, any other factor, it's been opioids. That's a fact. There's stats all over the place. You just go look it up. Look up the look up the connection between opioids and the and the increased number of kids in foster care systems. Well, drug addiction, as we know, stem from all kinds of things. Okay, and those are things that only the church and people of God with faith and the healing bond that He gives us can get into. Those are the only crevices. Those are the only crevices that are spiritually uh, uh, have a ha they have a stronghold in them that is only only a spiritual war can break is what I'm saying, and so we need more of that contending in our neighborhoods. We need that more contending of the church. So if you ask me if the answer is more foster families, no, yes, but no. The answer that's the is getting to the brokenness in the families beforehand. Yeah, more work, more ministry, more outreach needs to happen in the homes of those families, in the hearts of those families, in the minds of those families. We need to be the village before foster care, not when foster care and shattered trauma and traumatized children happen. We need to be the village before that happens. And that is when you're going to see a no more use, I should say, of the foster care system is when we're truly on the front lines of life, not just on the front lines of foster care. Yeah. If that makes sense. It absolutely does. Yeah. And I think there needs to be a, a massive, I think this, I think the education around understanding especially relative to opioids and why, why are opioids so powerful as well as just all of the non drug, essentially opioids and this dopamine addiction that we have. And I've started yeah. to see some education about what drives dopamine and what drives serotonin and what happens when dopamine levels stay high too long and our dopamine receptors start to shut down. And we could go into a two hour discussion about that. Yeah. That's a but, whole nother thing. Yeah. But the, and that's a massive problem for even people who don't abuse anything per se. Right. So, um, but to your point, all of it relates to our brokenness that needs to be addressed on the front end. Why are we chasing likes on Facebook? Why are we addicted to sugar? Why are we addicted to pursuing all this, these pleasure centers versus actually satisfaction centers and what are the differences between them? Um, and they do, it all comes back to spiritual brokenness, um, which is, as you know, obviously anybody in the Christian faith understands that's, that's our, our, our broken nature, but there's ways yes. to address that, um, you know, through Christ and, and healing those partly from awareness, partly from walking with Christ and letting him, yes. you know, letting him work in our lives. This episode is sponsored by Royal CFO services. 
Would you prefer to have the peace of mind that accounting experts and financial analysts are managing and maintaining your business's financials? Would you prefer to give the hours you spend on accounting back to your family and friends while resting confidently that your business finances are in excellent care? Royal CFO Services can allow you to do just that. By outsourcing your accounting and finance needs, you can improve your work-life balance, discover when to make your next big move to grow your business, and more. Royal specializes in businesses in the construction and real estate industry, agricultural industry, and the nonprofit sector. Visit them today at royalcfoservices.com to book a free consultation. You know, as this goes out to a lot of people across the country, potentially across the world, every place has different resources to find information about how in their own geography, um, how bad is the situation? Where, where can I start to plug in and get help? Share a little bit about the common resources across the, especially the United States that people can turn to to look up information about uh, one, the, the crisis of the foster care system, because it's in everybody's backyard. Um, as well as if you know, I'm going to put you on the spot on this one a little bit, um, just in case anybody's hearing this and congratulations for listening this long, if your heart's not really into the foster care (laughs) concerns of the world, but it's also massively tied to human trafficking issues. Um, and if you know of, of, and we'll put some in the show notes as well, but if you have other resources that you could identify or, or share with people about where to find out more information about, you know, how foster care and human trafficking are linked as well as again what the local resources might be to see some information about their own local you know foster care community the best place to get the stats of your local foster care is um that i have seen is annie e casey foundation they have you just google them they come up with very very trackable i mean the data that they have is the is the most uh, is is not fake news. Let's put it that way. It's 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 real 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 data because they spend a lot of money and a lot of time, and they have a lot of people working on the data constantly. And Annie is uh, A N N I E, and then separate capital E like a middle initial dot uh, Casey C A C A. S E Y and then foundation and don't get it confused with Annie E Casey. That's a whole nother separate entity. You have to put foundation there to get the numbers that you want and they break it down by race. They break it down by area. They'll break it down by your state. You can look up your state. I think they even break it down County wise. Um, and if you don't find County on Annie Casey, you can find your county or your parish, as we call them in Louisiana, on your local Department of Child and Family Services. So if you're in Arizona, you, you, you just Google Arizona Department of Child and Family Services. You should be able to find those stats on their sites uh, according to county. You also will find on these, uh, maybe not so much the, the, the Department of Child and Family Service sites, but on Annie Casey Foundation, you'll learn what happens to kids in foster care when they age out of the foster care system. You'll learn that 70% of our jails uh, were at one point uh, former foster youth. You'll know that 67% um, are trafficked 
when they leave foster care system. You'll learn, at least in Louisiana, again, check your stat uh, on, on Annie E. Casey Foundation website, but they, they will break down for you the cost of doing nothing for these kids who are aging out of the foster care system that no, undoubtedly uh, hit the silos of incarceration, sex trafficked population, and homeless population. And I called a, a, a huge ministry out near Skid Row and I said, do you know how many people, I don't know if you track this, how many people, it was a feeding ministry, how many people who come in would you say are former foster youth? And they said, no doubt at least 70%. And then I've heard that with jails and I've heard that with sex trafficking. Let me tell you something about sex trafficking. So a pimp went on record here to say that pimps of this nation, they first target kids in foster care. They know where the group homes are, okay? They send somebody in there either to work in them or a girl that's in there and they track her from school to the house and they get her to recruit the rest of the girls inside there or boys and or it's an employee that has is an inside job and the pimps of this nation went on record saying the kids in foster care are the most vulnerable we, we hit them first they're the most vulnerable people group that we target because we know they don't have any family who is looking for them we also know if they know why don't we know they know they said that we know caseworkers, Department of Child and Family Services, will, ju will just deem them runaways, which they do. Look up your numbers. See how many were deemed runaways last year. And when now they're realizing they're not runaway, they've been trafficked. And they said, because we know they can leave a group home, they can, we can, they can leave someplace and nobody will come looking for them. We know we can use them time and time and again. We can, we can, we can take their life if we need to, because they can't work for us anymore. They're getting squirrely and they want to leave. We know that we can do something to them and nobody will ever know. Now that, if, 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 if pimps know that, why don't the church know that? So I'm hoping that what I'm saying is not only informative, that somehow it's so urgent in you or in anyone who's listening to this. Because I believe whoever is going to listen to this, you need to be doing something. This is not a mistake that you're listening to me. Because <laughs> I know a lot of cute people go on and talk about this. I'm not cute. I'm urgent. I talk urgent <laughs> because I feel it that way. And I hope to God, Chad, that everybody feels it that way who is a believer because it's a crisis and we shouldn't have these little girls and little boys sex trafficked simply because nobody wanted them. Nobody cared enough to be, to, to be their family or their friend or their community connection. And so we're hoping to do that. If I can tell anybody, look up and also Google when you're talking about resources, Google, look up local uh, nonprofits or organizations that serve kids in foster care or the orphaned, whatever, however it's stated in where you live. And partner with them, 
somehow, even if it's just to go and read a book to them, even if it's to go bring them to a ball game, even if it's to go buy a bed, even if it's to give them a birthday cake, which we just experienced a teen the other day cried when we gave him birth because he said he never had one in his life. He was 19 years old. Those things matter. So we all, if we're not all called to be foster families, which we're not, we're all called to do something and we all have a place on the field. And those local organizations where you can call me directly and I'll, I'll or you can email me to, I'll be bold enough to put my email out there for any of your responses. Um, and I'll let you know how you can help. That's awesome. Yeah. Even something as simple as I never would have thought of this, which is crazy, but just this trickle down concept, right? The bio parents who need to make it to a court appointment. Yes. Right. Or they have to make it to a visitation and they don't have a car or their car. That happens the all the time. Yeah. As simple as a, just a ride. A ride. There's, yeah. Yeah. It's there's, millions of ways to help that's for sure um we're in obviously this wonderful time of covid and bottom line racial unrest right and a lot of these kids in the foster care system depend so much upon resources outside of if whether they're in a system or in a foster home or a group home a lot of their best resources especially during the school year are at school and most of those have been shut down. What are you seeing the impact of this or, or get a sense of the impact of this is right now with COVID? Um, are there ways that you've already seen people are stepping up to kind of fill this, you know, checking in on kids uh, that they might be aware of, um, you know, obviously so a lot of minorities are involved in foster care and, you know, how's, how are the racial tension issues that are going on affecting them? What, what can we do that you've seen to be effective? The, the best thing that we have had, I've always said to my team and even to myself, we do not create the need. We meet the need. So get to know the need first before you think you have all the answers before you do. <laughs> so I always ask the Department of Child and Family Services, What's going on right now? What is your biggest need? And how has COVID affected you? And they said every way possible. Our offices are closed. You know, people can't get to their appointments to, for case hearings on, on custody and child placement. And uh, there are a lot of teens that are now moved off of campuses that just aged out of the foster care system, were on college campuses, homeless, find themselves homeless again because they can't stay on campus or they don't have a way to contact anybody. They don't have phones. The biggest practical need was that foster families, biological families, and uh, care, uh, caregiving grandparents didn't have phones laptops or tablets they needed to continue meeting with judges meeting with caseworkers having those well-being checks having those home visits because all all of it had to be through zoom because the only ones that were the most high 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 risk were the ones that caseworkers still made but they didn't make house visits to everyone just those very very high risk because of the covid so what happened was to be able to continue the connection 
that that they needed to the well-being of that child they had to have a device where that was possible and so they lacked those devices uh, the families the caregivers the teens and we help provide those uh, based on again department of child and family service says we know the families who do not have one and the teens that do not have one so if we got but we also don't have the funds for those yet it was before the federal even came down and knew how to help yet. So we were on the ground. That's what I love about our ministries, the frontline ministries, real time. And we're there before anybody else can get it together, you know, and funnel it down from the feds down. So they needed money and they needed those devices we, we, to maintain contact. And because of that, these families got to regain contact. The kids who had been out of school for months, uh, a, a month, without uh, being able to go do continue their on dis online distance learning because they didn't have the laptops now we're able to get that last tail end of school because we came through but that's how it was impacted they weren't able to get educated they weren't able to connect with caseworkers if there was a problem they weren't able to get connect with their counselors mental health drug addiction counseling parent you know parenting classes all of those, all those things are very critical to, 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 to maintain connection with that they didn't have during COVID. Now, this is probably the number one thing that I saw, and that is teachers are mandatory reporters. And instead of seeing numbers rise of the calls of abused kids or abuse cases or investigation possibilities, mandated calls, I thought they would go up during time of COVID. They went extremely down. But that was because those teachers were not seeing the kids on the daily basis. Those who normal had normal contact with the kids who were actually adults with their best interest in mind in their lives did not see those children on a day-to-day -day basis. Therefore, calls dramatically declined because mandatory reporters like teachers were not uh did not have access or connection with them that should scare everybody because what i think is going to happen and this is a prediction just from old kimo here is that when we re-enter that that situation we're going to have a fluctuation of calls of abuse that were worse before the covid happened uh, because things have been so steamy at home. Now, I know domestic violence has increased. The reason why I know that is because we've, we've had some meetings with those on the front lines of domestic violence saying that they have. So when there's domestic violence, I promise you children are about to go into the foster care system right behind that call. So because those teachers, though, have been removed and a lack of connection, we don't have those calls. So I'm, I'm concerned about what's happening coming up more than I, you know, more than any time. And I'm really concerned what's happening to the kids presently yeah. that we don't know about and don't hear about. about. So I yeah. think this call, this podcast is actually coming at a good time because I think it will prepare the church for the avalanche that's about to occur. Yeah. That's even worse than what it was before. And that's pretty bad. Yeah. And if you, anybody listening, if you're aware of households near you that have children, just check in on them. Check Just in. Check in on them because nobody else can. No. It's it's really scary. Yeah. The number, the drop is, is massively frightening. I, I don't even want to 
think about what the reality behind that could be. That ends part two of our chat with Kim Bigler. I hope that the raw, unfiltered information she shared with us today is awakening you. Even so much, you feel a need to awaken others about the problems we've been discussing. It's important that we know every day a child goes without a loving family member or surrogate looking out for them. They're in danger of being trafficked or taken advantage of. It takes a village to end this epidemic problem, a village of people not only addressing the problems of the people already in the system, but like Kim mentioned early in the episode, we need to be looking for ways to get involved before traumatic events put children into the foster system. We have one more segment of this wonderful interview remaining for you. Part three has even more surprises and by far the most emotionally moving story that I've ever had on our show. Be sure not to miss it. You'll again find links to Kim and James Samaritan in our show notes for this episode on bethechurch.org. We look forward to meeting up with you again next time as we conclude this wonderful interview with part three. Until then, peace to you and we continue to pray. Maranatha Father. <laughs>